Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Well, as we continue to think about relationships, this week we want to ask the question, how much space do you need to feel comfortable? And I ask that because it turns out that closeness physically tends to mirror our relational closeness to someone. So, for instance, studies have been done, and we've discovered that between about a foot and a half to four feet away from us is our personal space. I love to have my personal space. And close, close friends, close family members are welcome inside of that personal space. But then between four feet and 12 feet is our social space. And colleagues, acquaintances are welcome in that space. Now, outside of 12 feet is our public space. And when people are 12 feet or more from us, we feel comfortable, we feel in charge, we feel okay. But then then there's that 1.5, that one and a half feet right around us. And that is called our intimate space. And the only people welcome there are those who are absolutely closest to us, very, very close family members, spouses, and the closest of friends. Now, when someone comes into an inner ring of your space, if someone comes into your intimate space and, and hugs you, for instance, it can at times feel comforting. At the same time, when someone comes closer than their relationship would allow, you can get to feel anxious and and frustrated and longing for a little bit more distance. So how much space do you need in order to feel comfortable? Well, it turns out that we, we actually all need boundaries. Now, when we see boundaries in the physical world, we recognize them. Properties will frequently have boundaries like a fence or a wall, a wall with a gate in it that identifies a piece of property. And we recognize those boundaries in the physical world. But in the emotional and the spiritual world, we have boundaries as well. And those boundaries identify the space that is me, and inside of that space, the stuff that is mine. And the stuff that is me and mine is the stuff that I am responsible for. Now, outside of those boundaries, that's not me. That is not mine. And my responsibility changes in that space. Doctors Henry Cloud and John Townsend have written a really helpful book on this topic, actually a series of books, and the title of the first book is Boundaries, and they help us to think about the boundaries that we need in life, and establishing boundaries, it turns out, is the third habit that we need, the third skill that we need in order to build healthy, life-giving relationships, because Establishing boundaries actually helps us with the task of hearing from others and from God, yes, and hearing from others and God, no. Establishing boundaries also gives us the ability to say to others, no. And 
Most importantly, establishing boundaries helps us. It gives us the ability to say a clear yes to others and to God. As we look at the text today, we're going to discover that there are boundaries in Christian living. There are boundaries in Christian living. And as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, we find the Apostle Paul describing the Christian life in terms of a race and a runner who's running that race. In verse 24, we read, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? And so Paul is asking us to visualize a runner in a race. And he is saying about us that we are like runners running a race. We, we are involved in a race that is the Christian life. And Paul says, now think about it. When a runner is running a race, there are different ways they can run. They might be out running just for fun, but usually they are running to finish well, to win, to get the prize at the end of the race. And Paul says, as you're thinking about the race that is your Christian life, Run that way with a sense that there is something waiting for you at the end. He goes on to tell us more about the object of the race in verse 25. He, he continues, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So continuing to think about these runners and thinking of them as athletes, Paul says, look at these runners. They, they exercise self-control in all things. What does he mean? He means, well, an athlete, a runner, is going to train. They're going to do strength training and endurance training. The, the athlete is going to do certain things like eat right foods consistently and, and drink enough water. And the athlete is going to avoid certain things that are harmful to being in peak condition. The, the athlete is going to avoid getting too little sleep and, and doing things that would pollute the athlete's body. Why? Because they are running for an end. And Paul says, think about the end that the athlete is running for. Paul says the athlete is running to get a wreath. And, and he means that quite literally because at the end of a race in his day and in his culture, the victor would get what was called a victor's wreath. It, it was a, a crown, basically, that was made out of branches from a tree or a plant, and, and the tree or plant depended on the race. And, and he says, you're, you're running to get this, this, this wreath. At the same time, we know that they're running to get what the wreath symbolizes, not just the wreath itself. They're running to demonstrate that they are better than the other runners. They're running to win. They're running to defeat their opponents. They're running to prove their skill. And they're running for the glory and for the adulation of the crowds. But Paul says, hey, wait a minute. Think about it. You're going to get that wreath. But it's made of bushes. It's going to die. It's perishable. But it's not just the wreath that's perishable. He knows that everything that they're running for is perishable. Because one day a runner runs and wins a race. And the crowds roar. And tomorrow, everyone forgets that the race was run. And who won the race? He says, so athletes exercise self-control 
to get a perishable reef. And Paul says, hey, wait, you're running. You're running. You're running this Christian life, but the thing that you're running for is something that's imperishable. And Paul is speaking about something important here. He is talking about eternal life. You're running in order to get eternal life at the end, but there's so much more. You're running in such a way that you will be filled at the end with holiness, with with righteousness. You will experience the favor of God and the honor of God. You're running for all of that. That's that imperishable thing. And he he speaks about it as being like a crown. In In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he writes about the race again. He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul says, you're running the race. Why? There's an end in mind. The crown of righteousness, eternal life, holiness and righteousness from God, the favor and the honor of God. That's what you're running for. And so he says in verses 26 and 27, You have to think about self-control. In verses 26 and 27, he continues, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Instead, what? I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so we find here Paul saying, yeah, okay, we're running the race, but, but we're not running a race that is after an a perishable wreath and glory that fades. We're running for something more. And so consequently, he said, I'm not, I'm not exercising self-control in a futile way. He says, I'm not running aimlessly. I'm not just out for a jog for no reason. He says, I'm not like one, a boxer who's just shadow boxing, warming up before the big fight. He says, no, there's an end in mind. There is something to which we are going. And so he continues, and he says, I discipline my body, and I keep it under control. And we want to think about what Paul has said about self-control in terms of boundaries. He's saying that as athletes, we have all exercised self-control. We are exercising self-control. And the word that he uses for self-control that he's describing here is, is a word that implies mastery, Mastery of ourselves. In other words, if we think of it in terms of boundaries, we know where our boundaries are. We know where we are. We know what is ours. And in mastery, we have taken responsibility for who we are and for what is ours. And then he goes on and he says, no, in addition to that, I discipline my body. I discipline my body. I I put my body into the right shape. What Paul is saying here is essentially when it comes to boundaries, we we know where we are and and that what's inside our boundaries is ours, but, but we don't like staying in boundaries. We love going outside of boundaries. And so the word that Paul uses here implies that we are putting ourselves into the right shape. We are getting inside of our boundaries. And then he says that I keep my body under control. And the word that he uses here implies that that Jesus is the one who is in charge, and we respond to Jesus 
as he commands us. When Jesus says yes to have our bodies under control, when Jesus says yes, I say yes and I follow through. To have our bodies under control implies that when Jesus says no, I say no and I follow through. So Paul is saying we, we live within boundaries. Now, why would we do that? Why would we live within boundaries? Paul says, I live within boundaries. I exercise self-control. I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Why? Lest I should be disqualified in the end. What does Paul mean when he says, lest I should be disqualified in the end? Is, is Paul counteracting his argument elsewhere that we have freedom in Christ? You see, in my personal devotional life right now, I'm studying the book of Galatians, and, and one of the big themes of Paul's letter to the church in Galatia is that we have freedom in Christ. There were people in the province of Galatia who were saying, well, you know, we, we have kind of freedom in Christ, but actually what we're supposed to do is observe the Old Testament law and some of the traditions. And Paul said, no, Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. And Paul said, you know, when it came to the law, you never were able to keep the law yourself. And so if you were trying to earn your salvation by keeping the law, that was never going to happen. And so Paul says, hey, that means that the law became for you a kind of slavery. And in the book of Galatians, Paul is arguing, don't ever submit yourself to that kind of slavery again. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so, as Paul says here, I am training, I am staying inside of boundaries, lest I myself should in the future be disqualified. Is he saying that we have to submit to the law again in order to earn our salvation? No, of course that's not what he's saying. Is he saying that if we break the law, we could lose our salvation? Is that what Paul's saying? No, of course that's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying, though, is that in the Christian life, there are boundaries. And when we violate those boundaries, we damage ourselves and we damage our future. What Paul is saying is that there are boundaries in Christian living. As we keep looking at what Paul has written and thinking it through, we recognize that boundaries tell us when to say no. In fact, if you were to scan forward into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, as Paul is trying to unpack what he said in chapter 9, he, he makes it clear that, that boundaries tell us when to say no. He says, think about Israel in the Old Testament. Israel was set free from slavery in Egypt by God. They saw God's power work in marvelous, magnificent ways. And then out in the wilderness, they forgot quickly what they had seen of God. They forgot God and walked away from God. They, they grumbled, they complained. When God said yes, they said no. When God said no, they said yes. And it damaged their lives, and it damaged their future. And, and Paul says that there are boundaries. Boundaries tell us that, that there are times when we are to say no 
In fact, he goes on to argue very specifically that, that there are boundaries that we should not ever violate. He says there are boundaries around idolatry. Don't engage in the worship of idols. And he says that there are boundaries around our sexual activity. He says, don't ever break the boundaries around your sexual activity that God has given you. Why? Because it damages you and it damages your future. And he understood, does that mean that we have all of a sudden put the law back in place? He actually asked this question in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. He, he quotes something that is said, a saying. It may even be that Paul is quoting himself. He says, well, there's a saying, all things are lawful. But then he reminds us, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. It won't cost you your salvation. But then he says, but not all things build up. You see, there are boundaries around the Christian life, and the boundaries tell us when to say no. No, though, is not quick or easy for us. Dr. Henry Cloud, who wrote Boundaries, describes us as having like a no muscle that we have to exercise and learn how to use. Dr. Cloud tells the story of having a knee replacement. And after the knee replacement, he needed the muscles in his leg that worked his knee to bend his knee. And so his brain told the knee to bend. But the muscles knew that when they bent, it was going to hurt. And so the muscles said, nope, not going to do that. And he had to train his muscles once again to push past the pain that would be involved. And then he had to teach those muscles how to keep bending his knee, and he had to develop the strength of those muscles so that he could stand on them. And he said, very similarly, we have a no muscle in our lives. And at first, when, we tell, when our brains tell our no muscle to work, our no muscle responds with, uh-uh, not doing that, that's going to hurt. Because we know that saying no to ourselves and to others for the first time may cause us pain. And so we have to teach that no muscle to begin firing, even though it may be painful. And then we have to keep exercising that no muscle in appropriate ways so that it becomes stronger and stronger. Because there are times when we have to say no. Sometimes we have to say no to ourselves. Because... While there may be boundaries around us, we like to get outside of our boundaries. There are times that we will have to say no to ourselves because what we're thinking about doing is not God's will. There are times that we're going to have to say no to ourselves because what we're considering doing is going to damage us. It's going to damage God's work in us, and it's going to damage what God is doing through us in the world. There are times where we're going to have to say no to ourselves. And there are times when we have to say no to others. Sometimes we have to say no to others because they are trying to drag us into doing something that we know God doesn't want us to do. Sometimes we have to say no to others because they're trying to get us to take responsibility for them in ways that we just can't take responsibility for. Sometimes we have to say no to people because they are coming inside of our personal space without being invited. And sometimes we have to say no to others 
because they're really trying to control us. And so sometimes we have to say no to other people. I found myself saying no on an airplane not too recently. I saw the guy in the terminal, and he was being really mean to one of the gate agents. And I remember sitting in the terminal and thinking, I pity whoever he's going to sit next to on the plane. And then I saw him after I'd gotten in my seat on the plane coming down the aisle, and he locked eyes with me, and it was that look that says, oh, yeah, I'm coming for you, buddy. And he was surly. He was frustrating. I I tried to soothe the savage beast. I I thought I had an extra pair of, of earbuds. I thought if I give him these earbuds, he might plug them in and fall asleep. And so I did. And he did. He he fell asleep. And when he fell asleep, at first, everything was fine. He was sleeping directed away from me. And then he flopped over and slept toward me. And I thought, personal space, you're getting a little close here, buddy. And then he flopped over onto my shoulder. And I thought, what would Jesus do? And I knew that back here at Valley, Pastor Joe was talking about going the extra mile. And I thought, is this one of these extra mile things? And then I thought, no, this is a rude guy who doesn't know where boundaries are. And I gave him a shove, and he flopped over the other way. Because sometimes you have to say no to people. Boundaries also enable us, though, to say yes, and to say yes to Jesus. Now, as you hear about boundaries, a picture that I want to give you is of an athletic field. Think about an athletic field because it helps you to understand boundaries. And the the football season is recently over, and so most of us still have football fields in our minds to some degree. And if you think about a football field, you'll recognize that there are boundaries. There are sidelines. There's the end zone. And, And the boundaries tell you that when you go past a certain place, that's not allowed. But But don't focus on the sidelines. Don't focus on the boundaries. What I want you to see is actually that those boundaries create a great big field on which people can play. And that is the function of boundaries in our lives. They create the space in which we can say yes. Establishing boundaries actually creates the space in which you can say yes to salvation. Remember, boundaries tell you where you are and what is yours. Boundaries tell you what is your responsibility. And here's a critical thing to realize. We have all violated the boundaries that are around us. We have all sinned against God and broken those boundaries. And you may be here today thinking mostly about the ways that you have broken God's boundaries around your life. And you may have done things that have damaged yourself, your future, 
and other people. Boundaries tell us what is ours, what is our responsibility, but boundaries also remind us of what is not us, what is not ours, and what is not our responsibility. And we cannot pay the price for our own sin, but Jesus has paid the price for our sin. And so if you have violated God's boundaries, you can say yes to salvation in Jesus because he offers it freely to you. Establishing boundaries also helps us to say yes to godly love. Now, when you hear that godly love is being offered to you, if your boundaries have been violated, that may be a very difficult thing for you to hear. And, and I recognize that some of you in the room today have had your boundaries violated. People have come in and said yes when you said no. People have come closer to you then you welcome them. People have have said things to you that are not okay to say. People have tried to control you. And people may have touched you when you didn't say it was okay to touch you. But please understand what the offer of godly love is like. Godly love is God saying, I'm with you. I see you. I love you. And I know what's happened. Godly love is is God saying to you, Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for all of that for all of your sin, for the sin of the world. Jesus rose again from the dead, victorious over sin and death and evil and all kinds of violence and broken boundaries in this world. And Jesus offers you forgiveness for anything that you've done wrong, but he offers you justification. You are made right and holy in his sight. He offers you healing and a new life. He offers you the presence of the Holy Spirit to continue giving you new life. He offers you a new purpose, and he offers you an eternity beyond all of this. And if that is the offer of godly love, even though your boundaries may have been violated and it may be difficult to allow yourself to be loved again, God is saying, I love you. You can say yes to that kind of love. Now, when our boundaries have been violated, it can make it very difficult to say yes to loving others with godly love. When we think about godly love, we think about love that means serving. When we think about loving as God loves, we we recognize that that does mean going the extra mile. It, it, It can mean loving our enemies. It can mean laying down our lives. 
And when we establish boundaries, then those things are not being taken from us. When we choose to love others in a godly way, it's because we are saying yes to loving others as God loves us. And when you establish boundaries, you can say yes to loving others as God loves us. Establishing boundaries also helps us to say yes to Jesus' mission. In fact, in the material that Paul wrote right before what I read to you today, that's the question that he was wrestling with. How can I be on mission and how can I say yes to everything it is that Jesus asks of me? He reflects on this in chapter 9, verses 20 and to 22. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. We have boundaries and it enables us to say yes to Jesus' mission. So boundaries enable us to say yes to Jesus, and they also enable us to say yes to people. Because you see, boundaries create the great big space in which we can do life and have healthy, life-giving relationships with other people. When we establish boundaries, we've made the decision about what we're going to do with our stuff, who gets to play with our stuff and who doesn't get to play with our toys. We, we have decided what we're going to do with our time, how we will invest the time that God has given us and how we won't. When we've established boundaries, we've, we've determined what we're going to do with our thoughts because there are some people who can hear the things that we're thinking, and there are some people who just can't put up with listening to what is on our minds. We've decided what to do with our emotions because when it comes to talking about how we feel, there are some people that we can safely talk with about what we feel, and there are some people that are just not safe to trust with that kind of intimacy. And we decided who is allowed to touch us and come near us, why and who is not. And that sounds like a lot of no's. But don't focus on the no's. Understand that those no's create a big space that says yes. Yes, I will be in relationship with you. Yes, we can build healthy, life-giving relationships here together. A friend of mine helped me to see years ago just how helpful boundaries can be in building life-giving relationships. I don't know if you guys have realized, but people like to gossip and complain. That may have come across. And the interesting thing is, despite the fact that people love to gossip and love to complain, the Bible tells us that gossip and complaining are things we're to avoid. In fact, instead, the Bible says, instead of gossiping and complaining, here's what you do. Focus your mind on that which is good and godly. And so if you're trying to focus your mind on that which is good and godly and avoiding gossiping and complaining, it leaves you with a dilemma in conversations. What do you do when someone starts gossiping and someone starts complaining? And one of my friends came up with such a great phrase to use. When she gets in those situations, she says the word bummer. 
It's so simple. It's so powerful. When somebody is telling a bad story about someone else, she simply responds at the end, bummer. And when someone is complaining about something that can't be changed and just getting in a negative place, her response is, bummer. And, and bummer is such an effective dead end for a conversation that you don't want to have. But as a boundary, the dead end of bummer is also a yes to talking about things that are good and godly and glorious. And that's how boundaries work. Boundaries help us to say no to the godless, to, to, the, to the wrong, to the out of bounds, to the harmful, to the hurtful. And yes, to that which is good, godly, and glorious. If you are thinking about and struggling with establishing boundaries in your life, I hope that you will get some help. If you're just trying to figure out what boundaries can look like, then I would recommend you pick up and read the book Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. It can be a helpful resource to you. But if you are really struggling to establish boundaries in your own life, or if you are struggling to figure out how to put boundaries around your life because someone else is violating your boundaries, then consider talking with someone, a trusted Christian friend, who can help you to figure this out. It may be helpful to talk with a trusted counselor. But you can learn to live within boundaries. And you can learn to live with boundaries. And establishing boundaries helps us to create healthy, life-giving relationships. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at Avon dot valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.